Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Cambridge Update, recorded on September 2nd, 2020. My name is Saudi Mahadio and today I'll be sitting down with Greg Dean, Principal and Portfolio Manager at Cambridge Global Asset Management. Today's area of focus will be on the Cambridge Global Smaller Companies Fund. Hi Greg, thanks for joining me today. Always a pleasure, Sonia. I'm so glad we're sitting down to talk today. So, you know, although I want this conversation to be focused on one particular stock, I think I want to start off with a previous LinkedIn post that you had six months ago. You, at the time within your LinkedIn post, you had a couple of reminders from Warren Buffett, which I believe are worth repeating. So you quoted, opportunities come in frequently. When it rains gold, put out the bucket, not the thimble. And the other Buffett quote was, widespread fear is your friend as an investor because it serves up bargain purchases. Well, I'm happy to know that at least you were paying attention. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't... It wasn't that long ago, and I I can remember that time, there was just a lot of muscle memory kicking in that you develop sort of over your career. And, and and, you know, I remember probably around the time that I I posted that, you know, the Russell was down over 40%, Mm -hmm. Russell 2000. Uh, Even large cap indices were were down 25 or so. And everybody was just panicked. You know, they'd all been sent home. Um, everybody's habits had kind of blown up. You weren't able to do the things that everyone was used to doing. And it was like the world halted and, and maybe it was, you know, coming into this industry during a crisis and, and seeing what everyone seemed focused on, focused on versus what they seemed to be focused on. Not that many months later, you know, it was always, always feels the worst when you're in it sort of thing. So I think just, um, that was more, you know, just for my own benefit and reflecting on how would I have handled previous crises differently as much as it was reminding others, you know, we'll get through this. Um, let's remain calm. There is no historical precedence that any of us have lived through, but that doesn't mean it's not solvable. So things only look like buying opportunities in hindsight, but we were very fortunate to be spending money when a lot of other people were worried. Well, and I think it's a perfect segue for the conversation because Today, I wanted to talk to you about one of the holdings in the fund, which is Restoration Hardware. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you added the stock at the same time, about the same time that you made that post. Yeah, I think we pulled the trigger late March, late March, early April, probably took us a couple weeks to buy it. So why don't you, why don't we start off by you just telling me about how you came across the company and, you know, what is for Restoration Hardware? Yeah, it's, they have a very polarizing CEO who's who's been instrumental in the success of that company. Um, Gary Friedman, I think, was on the cover of every annual report for like 10, 10 12 years uh, until someone told him, you know, people are buying your furniture, not your photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they're, you know, probably the preeminent North American or, or Western world uh, manufacturer and retailer of, of accessible luxury you know, home uh, furniture and home furnishings. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's their own category. You know, it's contemporary, you know, the modern or is it like RH? You know, people want to tap into that sort of, uh, I don't know the best way to describe it. This isn't my area of forte, but, you know, like that California lifestyle. Yeah. Whether it's just approachable luxury. And so, um, you know, he used to be a, a pretty high up guy at, at Williams Sonoma and was passed over for the CEO job and ended up taking... Um, the CEO role in this close to bankrupt, um, 
you know, retailer of sort of knickknacks. And, you know, fast forward, give or take 20 years, and he's turned it into, uh, you know, a $7 billion company. And, uh, you know, business is on pace to do probably $15 to $20 in earnings per share this year. That's incredible. Um, it is incredible. And, and, you know, he there's lots of stories about him, and there's lots you can Google on the Internet. Um, but, you know, definitely what we would consider a visionary CEO, which can come with its own set of risks, because it, it often means that, not many other people can get along with somebody like that. Um, but, you know, our, I think what's more pertinent to the, this conversation is just, you know, how did we identify it over what time frame did we do the work? And so, you know, Jordan had been looking at furniture for, you know, the first half of 2019. I owned a company in France called Maison du Monde, which was, uh, you know, think of them as like the West Elm of Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they do a lot of business online, but most of their online business comes out of the store. You know, you go to the store, you look around at the little vignettes and then you decide, I want this, I want that. And then they order it from the store and it ships to the store and you pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had success penetrating a number of other countries in Western Europe. And, you know, I challenged Jordan to, cause he had just sort of joined me full time, uh, it, on, on that fund. And I said, you know, I'd like you to look at this in more detail, validate that it's interesting or prove that it isn't and help me find something better. And it didn't take him very long. And he came back and said, you know, I, I see what you're interested in here, but I'm concerned um, by the, you know, the threat of, of e-commerce and what it's going to do for the furniture uh, industry. So let's let's actually just widen our, our lens from just this business to, you know, a number of other furniture retailers and see if we can learn something and prove that they're adding value and taking share or prove that they're at risk. And so we looked at Wayfair, we looked at another, a number of other companies of which RH was one of them. And then, you know, we did enough work to justify that, you know, Maison du Monde had some serious uh, threats on the horizon that weren't necessarily priced in. So, you know, around $22, 22 euros a share, we sold the business. Um, I think it troughed during COVID at say seven and it's probably recovered to 13 or 14, but pretty happy that we, sold that company because a lot of his concerns that we ended up validating through talking to the management team and customers um, Mm -hmm. uh, proved proved out. And, you know, we kind of locked on to RH and it took the back half of last year and into early this year to finish the work. Um, But RH has been a volatile stock and and earnings in three years have gone from $1.50 to $14. And usually when people see stuff like that, they just assume there's going to be some very significant mean reversion that causes um, things to deteriorate. So, and ourselves included, you know, just looking at the business in more detail, it was like, wow, you're, you know, the things that they had done were basically the opposite of what conventional wisdom would tell you. They were opening up bigger brick and mortar stores, you know, $50 million galleries. The one here in Toronto is at Yorkdale and it's incredible. It's probably one of the nicest, mm-hmm. it's uh, beautiful. you know, retail, retail uh, stores anywhere in the country. They're, you know, their flagship in New York. Like these are just incredible facilities that they were building at a time where most people were saying everything's going online. And so, you know, we completed the work. We thought it was an attractive business generating high returns. There was a lot of self-help within the business, improving the operating margins by simplifying their supply chain tariffs, uh, courtesy of Mr. Trump had, had required them to also uh, reorient their supply chain into new countries. Um, they're, by far one of the biggest retailers of furniture, especially within the very narrow skew and assortment that they offer. So they had a lot of 
supplier power. And it looks like more, you know, sales growth wasn't going to be phenomenal, call it, you know, three to 5% per year, but they were going to be seeing their margins expand a lot um, because they were buying these much bigger, they were partnering on these much larger retail sites with the landlords and basically co-developing them. And the benefit for them was, you know, they were using their balance sheet, taking some risk, but they were getting to pay the same amount of rent on three times the square footage. So the rent costs as a percent of sales were coming down dramatically, which was driving the operating margin. So anyways, we saw all this stuff and then COVID hit and they had to close all their stores and the stock went under hundred dollars. And we thought, wow, it's finally cheap enough. And we think it's a really compelling opportunity. You know, it was trading at under 10 times sales, trailing sales. And obviously sales in 2020 or so we thought were going to be lower than 2019, but we didn't think there was any mm-hmm. risks of them going bankrupt and people were talking about a, a maturity in 2021 and you know there were certainly some concerns but we saw the upside relative to the downside is very attractive and you know we made it a a two percent weight in the fund and and our i think our average cost is about 125 bucks and today the stock's 350 wow and there's still a decent amount of their stores that are closed so it's that that goes back to i guess that quote that you mentioned where you just when everybody's worried and it's often the time to ask yourself, you know, but what could they be missing? So what do you think it would take for you to really question the investment thesis going forward? Well, I mean, we do that every day. So we, we set upsides and downsides based on what we think the future will look like. And for a business like that, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the risk reward is, has deteriorated significantly from, from our, our purchase price. You know, there was not a lot of downside priced in it. 125 bucks and significant upside. We still think there's there's decent upside, but we're now paying for things that we have yet to see. Um, you know, the we think long term their margins could be north of 20 percent, and there's a chance that this year they're 20 percent, which would be you know significantly above what most people expect. I think in March when we were buying the the, the stock, expectations were for earnings of say five bucks this year, mm-hmm. um, and ours were closer to 10 bucks, which is a big difference. Uh, and now expectations have caught up, and they think that they'll earn 11 bucks dollars this year and we think the number could be closer to 20 so you know there's been a material um improvement in the underlying profitability of the company but a lot of that's been reflected in the share price so our job is to figure out what uh, isn't priced in that should be priced in and i'd say the risk reward is just a lot more balanced today so we have reduced that position um you know considerably but it's a, a really good example of of uh a business that i'd say the end the end market hasn't really changed. Think about a year ago versus six months ago versus now. Yeah. They do the exact same thing. They sell it to, you know, pretty much the same people. The, the, the perception of the business is what drove it from, you know, 250 to 80 to 350. And our job is to take advantage of that volatility. Wow, that's incredible. Well, thank you so much for the quick update, Greg. I really appreciate your time. And hopefully we can talk about another stock quite soon. You know me, this is what we do for a living, so always happy to chat. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment.
Certain statements in this podcast are forward-looking that are predictive in nature, depend upon, or refer to future events or conditions. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth. Although the forward-looking statements contained herein are based upon what CI Global Asset Management and the Portfolio Manager believe to be reasonable assumptions, neither CI Global Asset Management nor the Portfolio Manager can assure that actual results will be consistent with these forward-looking statements. Certain statements contained in this podcast are based in whole or in part on information provided by third parties, and CI Global Asset Management has taken reasonable steps to ensure their accuracy. Market conditions may change, which may impact the information contained in this podcast. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compounded total returns net of fees and expenses payable by the fund, including changes in security value and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions, and do not take into account sales, redemption, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.